If last week wasn't confusing enough by starting out Advent with the Palm Sunday reading, as most of us probably think in our heads, of course, historically it's not, but the scene of the beginning of our gospel lesson last week is Palm Sunday. This week, we get fire and brimstone and the end of the earth is probably what most people are thinking in our gospel lesson. Of course, this week altogether, we see in this second Sunday in Advent, the kingship and the kingdom of God set forth anew. We see that the kingdom of Christ is a kingdom over the Gentiles, not just a kingdom for the Jews, as so many Jews of Jesus' day expected. Indeed, it is the promised kingdom that God has designed to bring to pass through Abraham and his descendants, the most important of those descendants, of course, being Jesus. St. Paul notes in our epistle lesson the Gentile connection. We see Christ connected to all these prophecies about the Gentiles hearing, about the Gentiles worshiping and living under the kingship of the root of Jesse, in whom we all can have hope. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers, and that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy as it is written. For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, and his, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says in chapter 11, There shall be a root of Jesse, and, who, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. In the gospel lesson, we see the summer of the kingdom is coming. Jesus has established and inaugurated his kingdom in his battle and victory on the cross. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father to rule his kingdom. He has spoken in our gospel lesson of the judgment of the old system and of the old church, which rejected his message and his person. The old system will be judged, says Jesus, within one generation within 40 years. And indeed, this, of course, is what happened in 70 AD with the destruction of Jerusalem. Back in verse 20, Jesus says, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. No, most of that chapter is not devoted to end-time prophecies and the coming destruction of the world, and the Antichrist, etc. Jesus is talking about something that would happen within one generation. In 70 AD, the desolation became a reality. Jesus used the poetic language of decreation. Let me say that again. Jesus used the poetic language of decreation that the Hebrew people had used for centuries to foretell the destruction of a kingdom, a city, or governing system. His hearers and St. Mark's Jewish readers would have known exactly what he was saying, because if you go to the Old Testament, you see this same poetic language used over and over again. Uh, it's, it's, it's not, I'm sorry, it's just not modern-day end-times 
left behind stuff. That's just not what it is. Uh, in fact, that really only went nutso in the late 19th and 20th centuries. Um, that had never been a teaching of the church for 1,800 plus years. Jesus then in our gospel lesson says, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. This is a reference to the prophecy of Daniel chapter 7. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Your redemption draws near, my friends, because this is the assurance that the Son of Man, Jesus the Christ, is seated in the heavenlies, ruling the kingdom. He is your hope, and his promises are true. Jesus gives the parable of the fig tree and all of the trees next. When they are already budding, he says, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. The summer and flourishing of the kingdom is almost upon the world. After the destruction of Jerusalem, the church moves out from the Jewish enclave that it it had been a part of and moves ever outward into the wider world, bringing the good news to the whole world. Jew, yes, but to all the Gentiles as well. This destruction of Jerusalem is a further vindication of the Son of Man and those who follow him, says one commentator. The best way of understanding this passage in Luke is then to see it as the promise that when the, Jerus- when the Jerusalem that had opposed his message is finally overthrown, This will be the vindication of Jesus and his people, the sign that he has indeed been enthroned at his Father's side in heaven. Luke does, of course, believe in the second coming of Jesus from Acts 1. But this passage is not about that. It is about the vindication of Jesus and the rescue of his people from the system that has opposed them. So we see the ever-widening influence of the kingdom of God. Yes, in some times and places, the kingdom will suffer and will be stunted and will have less influence than it ought. And this, arguably, is the case of our own culture today. It almost seems as if the church does not exist in our culture. It seems to have such little influence. Yet the kingdom is still growing in other parts of the world. In some parts, it's actually on fire. It's growing so quickly. The third world is today grabbing hold of the gospel and running with it. Nigeria is one such place. There are 20 million Anglican Christians in Nigeria, not counting, not counting the Roman Catholics, the Baptists, the Methodists, and, and all the rest. 
I heard a statistic one time that uh, for Anglicans, the church in Uganda is a hot fire growth church. And there are more Anglican Christians attending church every week in one diocese of Uganda than in all the dioceses of the Episcopal Church, the Church of Canada, the Church of Scotland, the Church of England, the Church of Ireland, the Church of Australia, and the Church of New Zealand combined. So the West is struggling. We see this all the time in so many ways. It's struggling with church attendance. It's struggling with actually... I mean, we had... I believe we had breakfast, after, you said, after uh, seminary. I've gotten my mind confused. But we had breakfast with two Ugandan bishops, three, I think. And we asked them what it was like, their weekly life, what was day-to-day life like. And they kind of explained their week, and they traveled here, and they did this. And by the way, they rode bikes most of the time because they don't have enough money for cars. And they said, then on Saturday, we have Holy Communion. I thought, oh, that's interesting. Uh, Because they didn't necessarily have it every day, but on Saturday they do. And we have confirmations. And we said, well... why, why don't you have confirmations on Sunday? He says, oh, well, we do. But we can't get through everyone on a given Sunday. So we start on Saturday to be able to confirm everyone that needs to be confirmed. It's usually 100 to 200 every weekend. That is absolutely shocking. So though the church is a bit stunted in the West, it is alive and on fire in other parts of the world. And we need to just take hope from that and be encouraged by the ministry that is happening so that we might be a part of ministry here, that we might be a part of growing the church here, that we might bring the good news to our community, our neighbors, that we might tell others that, hey, we've got lots of room in our pews. Come join us. We have work to do in our part of the world. We have work to do in our culture. For the summer of the kingdom is still here and still blossoming in the world, though not so much on our own. Yet Jesus gives us the parable that reminds us of the Song of Solomon. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come. And the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land, the fig tree puts forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grapes give a good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Says another scholar in regards to this kingdom, it looks also beyond to the time when the tree of life will give its fullness of fruit and the kingdom of God will be known in that phase of its continuous existence in which his servants shall serve him and shall see his face who has been their redemption. This is the kingdom that begins with the incarnation, that time we know as Christmas. We anticipate the celebration of it now, and and we remember with hope our participation in the kingdom that Christ, the child in Bethlehem, has brought into reality with his suffering. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.